All right. Uh, let's pray. Dear Father God, you have made us in your image and you have saved us and redeemed us through Christ. Lord, be with our time today. Focus our hearts and our minds on you as we continue with this study. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, as has been our custom, we're going to start with a little story. Let's see who notes this one. (laughs) All right. So last week we covered... Oh, sorry. (laughs) Last week we sort of went through the Old Testament, saw how... God made us in his image and therefore made us creators. And we create uh, because we are embodied with his creative energy. And we saw how even, even uh, even though we fell, that God continued to call the people of God, to call Israel to creativity. And our primary example of that was uh, in, the, in the arts that were uh, used in the tabernacle through uh, Bezalel and Aholiab and, and how they sort of led the effort to create all sorts of art, uh, both uh, symbolic and representational art. And so today we pick up kind of moving into the New Testament. And so where we're going to begin is right here. (laughs) Imagine the temple in Jerusalem. A couple comes with their young baby. To, to dedicate him to God, to have him circumcised. And, and here comes uh, this old, old man who, who's been promised something by God. He sees this couple and he realizes this is them. This is the child. And what does he do? He bursts out in a song. And we see this, we see this so much, especially at the beginning of Luke. We see Mary bursting into song. We see Zechariah bursting into uh, song. We see, uh, we see Simeon, old Simeon, who has waited his entire life for this moment, bursting into song. And what does he say? Now, this is... This is, of course, in, if, you, uh, if you do the daily offices, if you do morning and evening prayer, or Compline, uh, then, then you're very, very familiar with this prayer. This is the old version. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of of all people, 
to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of thy people Israel. What we get, what we get through Simeon's song and, uh, and through all the other songs right there at the beginning of Luke is people know something new is happening. Some, something that has been promised is taking place. The Messiah is coming and this new movement in the world is happening. We don't know exactly what it is yet, but, but everyone sees that these promises are being fulfilled. Of course, we know what happens. Jesus, Jesus appears on the scene. And because he does, and because of his actions, his, his teaching, his death and resurrection, he brings a new order into the world. When Jesus starts preaching, especially in the synoptic gospels, he keeps saying one thing over and over. The, the kingdom of God is at hand. Or in, in uh, Matthew, he, most, he more often says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In in the Gospel of Mark, and I particularly like the way the Revised English Bible words this because it, it shows the immediacy of it. After, God had, after John had been arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God. The time has arrived. The kingdom of God is upon you. Repent and believe the Gospel. Uh, I like that. That, that choice of words upon you. Uh, because it, it calls us back, it calls us back to, to episodes like when, <laughs> totally different scenario, but uh, when, when Delilah would trick Samson and she would say, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. You know, they, they, uh, you are being sieged. Uh, they, they, are, they are waiting at the door. They are, they are breaking in and there's nothing you can do to stop them now. But, but Jesus preaches this and then he starts showing us what the kingdom will be like. Now, some of that is teaching. You know, he he teaches the kingdom of God is like this, it's like this, it's like this. But he also, especially in Mark, starts doing things like almost every time you hear the kingdom of God is at hand. Shortly thereafter, there's an episode where he is healing the sick or casting out a demon. So, so what is Jesus doing? Jesus is starting to do what, what will come to ultimate fulfillment uh, or what will be fully enabled by his death and resurrection. He is unworking the curse. He's showing us uh, episodes of 
what will things be like when we don't when we don't suffer under the weight of sin and death and all the broken things about the world anymore and so and so he heals the sick he gives the blind sight he casts out the demons Jesus, as he tells us, and as he shows John in the apocalyptic vision in Revelation, is making all things new. Revelation tells us, I heard a loud voice proclaiming from the throne, now God has his dwelling with mankind. He will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be an end to death, and to mourning, and to crying, and pain, for the old order has passed away. The one who sat on the throne said, I am making all things new. Of course, how does this happen? Again, it's because he not only came into the world, but fulfills his purpose in the world by his death and his resurrection. His resurrection, Scripture tells us, is... uh, uh, makes him the, the, the first to return from the dead or the firstborn from the dead, as depending on the translation you use. Uh, he is that beginning of new creation things, of that kingdom of God breaking into the world. And we're invited because you know, he, he makes us disciples. A disciple, a disciple follows after a teacher. In, in Jewish culture, a, disciple, a disciple's goal is to be imitators of that teacher. Uh, we are invited to be witnesses to the coming kingdom. Uh, uh, the uh, Right Reverend Dr. N.T. Wright, in his foreword to uh, Makoto Fujimura's book, Art and Faith, writes this. If we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, and that, as the New Testament insists, this has brought about the unexpected launch of new creation, of the kingdom of God, on earth as in heaven, then our present vocation real our present vocations really do partake of that new creation, bringing fragments and flashes of new creation to birth in the midst of that still darkened and sorrowing world. We are to that extent like the spies whom Moses sent into the land of Canaan and who brought back fresh fruit 
from the promised land to the people still in the desert. And so this, this brings in that, that missionary aspect of who we are as Christians and who I would say we are as artists and other makers if we are Christians. Therefore, as we were originally created with, with a mind to imitate God, to, in a small scope, uh, embody some of that creativity, uh, because, because we were in that old creation, that creation before the fall. So now, as members of the new creation, as uh, kingdom subjects living in the midst of our present world, our present broken world, we are imitators as ambassadors of what is coming. Of course, Ephesians uh, tells us things like we therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Matthew reminds us of, of this call, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, it's important to note here that, that of course, we can't do this on our own. None of this can we do on our own. And it wouldn't be but for the work of Jesus that we could do this. While we... While we were operating under a works-based system, nothing we were going to do was going to save us or was ultimately uh, uh, going to uh, do any good but uh, but for the work of Christ. But because of the work of Christ and because Christ sent his spirit to us, the spirit working in us can do more than we can imagine. And so we can, amongst other things, live out this, this missionary call to, to, to put these pictures of, of the kingdom into our current existence. Wright says... In his book, Surprised by Hope, what you do in the Lord is not in vain. You're not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You're not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown onto the fire. You're not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are strange though it may seem, almost, hard, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something 
that will become, in due course, part of God's new world. God still invites us to be his, his imitators, his little sub-creators, even though we are far from perfect beings. It's like, I know some of you are parents, uh, and I know listening uh, even more, there are parents and uh, grandparents, uh, and you know what it feels like to uh, invite, invite your child or your grandchild into the kitchen or into the tool shed and, and invite them to be part of, of the work you're doing, of, of uh, you know, making dinner, making cookies, or, or working on a project. And, and you, know, you know, what they're doing is not going to be perfect. And yet your love for them uh, wants them to be part of and wants to invite them to be part of something they want to be part of as well. They want to be imitators of you. They want to be about your business. Uh, and, and so you invite them in and whatever they make, though, you know, it's, it's probably misshapen. You know, it's, it's, it's not perfect, but, uh, but then, you know, you go back and, and you use that, that wonderful little misshapen thing they made to, to make it part of the glorious whole. So artists, makers in general, but we, we're focusing specifically on artists right now. Artists are imitators of God. But how? How, how specifically uh, are artists? We were, you know, maybe called to do things in the world that don't seem of most practical use. Uh, how, how does that imitation uh, work? And, uh, and so we've got, got four ways in which artists specifically are imitators of God. Artists create out of chaos. Artists mend the broken. Artists are employers of beauty. And artists fight the darkness. When I say artists create order out of chaos, we think back to our passage in Genesis last time, where, where God, at the beginning of time, uh, creates heaven and earth, and, and, and everything at first is an empty waste. Uh, you know, darkness is over the deep. You know, it's, it's a troubled setting. It is a chaotic setting. And then you know, he calls out light. He, he calls out all the pieces of, 
of the world, and suddenly it comes together. He's creating something out of nothing. He, he creates order out of chaos. And the word art is, is from a Latin word, ars, which means uh, skill or craft, uh, which itself is from an Indo-European root, meaning arrangement or to arrange. And isn't that kind of what an artist does? An artist takes these materials, uh, these raw materials, uh, uh, you know, whether, whether that is just clay, you know, a piece of ground, a piece of earth, or it's paints, it's pigments, you know, before the modern age, you had to make the paints. You had to use, you know, flowers and minerals to, to create these things that we would then put on canvas. We create order out of, out of chaos, out of materials, out of, out of the misshapen world. We bring order and create something new. Second, artists mend the broken. And this is where I'm going to pull a little bit from, uh, from something I men mentioned briefly in my first session in the overview, uh, which is kintsugi, uh, practice of mending broken pottery uh, with, with a mixture of lacquer and, uh, and gold, normally gold. Occasionally, silver or other pigments will be used. But we most often see that uh, with gold. Here are a couple of examples. Wait. Oh, oops. Wrong one. There we are. And so I don't know how well you guys can see this. Uh, <laughs> but here are the places where this uh, bowl, it's very old now. Uh, uh, this one was done in Korea. Um, but, but where it has been mended together. And these streaks of gold run through it. And it makes something that in its own way is more beautiful than, than what came before. The gold really, uh, really stands out and brings, uh, depending on how bad something was shattered in the first place, brings this uh, just luminescence to the piece. Here's another, here's another example, really good example, because the inside of the cup is sort of golden color too, but uh, you see the streaks of gold now running through where it was broken. And isn't this kind of uh, uh, what, uh, what Jesus does in our lives? He takes even the broken pieces of our lives. And I'm sure we each, you know, have these stories, you know, places, places of pain in our lives, places of struggle and brokenness in our lives. And when he pours himself into that, when, when 
those areas of our lives are touched by the gospel, those, those parts of our lives all of a sudden become inexplicably beautiful because of where God has worked in those stories. Now, uh, not uh, uh, just like anything uh, we do, not all examples of Kintsugi uh, turn out so well. <laughs> but. <laughs> uh, leave it on Calo for a second. Um, uh, of course, uh, uh, Psalm 147, uh, verses 233 says, uh, The Lord builds up Jerusalem and gathers together the outcast of Israel. He heals those who are broken in heart and binds up their wounds. Again, this is... This is what he does and continues to do in us and in our story. Fujimura says, by art that leads to kintsugi theology, we acknowledge the broken realities of our wretched condition, but work to mend what is broken by making beauty, by making toward beauty in the context of brokenness, through sanctified imagination. Again, that's that work of the Spirit, that, that sanctification working through our, our kingdom mindset now, now that we are redeemed. We are proclaiming God's good news. How? Evangelism is the proclamation of the new. To use another metaphor to accentuate this kintsugi Kintsugi theology, by fixing the soil of culture, as farmers do their fields, we are on our way to realizing this invocation of the new. Our our third point. Ah, are we there? We're there. Artists employ and point to beauty. Webster, in Web, uh, the Webster's Revised Unabridged Dictionary from 1913 now, a lot of the more modern definitions of art, honestly, I think leave out the central issue. But back in 1913, we defined art as the application of skill to the production of the beautiful by imitation or design, or an occupation in which skill is so employed, as in painting and sculpture. Notice the centrality of, of beauty in, in, this, uh, in this definition. Beauty, you know, being pleasurable, beauty uh, you know, beauty stimulates the senses and has a sense of transcendence. 
this is, uh, and we'll actually get into a more thorough definition of what beauty is in our next session, which is going to be led by Brian Lilly. Ask Brian to, uh, to do a session on beauty because we've both, we've both uh, studied the subject matter for years and years and years, and he taught uh, a class specifically focusing on beauty in, uh, in his time over at Sojourn. And, and so it, it felt like a good opportunity to bring him in. But, uh, but this idea of you know, art being a production of the beautiful then means it is a production of something that, hold, that ultimately, uh, as, as the you know, three transcendentals, uh, goodness, truth, and beauty are, those, those things are, that we see in elements, in shadows in our current world come to fulfillment in God and in his new creation. Uh, Fujimura states again, I know I'm using him a lot this time. I... <laughs> he says, all art, music, and poetry, by intention or not, invokes the new even a non-Christian creating must have some sense of hope or it will not be possible to create into a future audience that will have a future encounter with that work of art. These three aspects of new creation are simultaneously working together to empower, uh, to restore, and to create into the new. Finally, artists fight the darkness. Philippians tells us, and now, my friends, all that is true, all that is noble, all that is just and pure, all that is lovable and attractive, whatever is excellent and admirable, Fill your thoughts with those things. It's so easy, especially in our, in our current world where we live under a pandemic, political strife. We see so many tragedies going on in the world. Uh, to focus on those things. To, to, to live in the world where, where we see only the product of the prince of this age, as he's called, uh, as we live in this current darkness, uh, you know, the, under the uh, cosmic powers uh, of darkness, as Ephesians tells us about. And yet art... By, hopefully, channeling the beautiful, channeling, channeling that which points us to not, not, the, not the darkness of this world, but the promise of the world to come, of that 
of that kingdom breaking into this age where, where, these, where wars, where strife, where political disagreements, uh, and, and where rampant viruses are no, longer, are no longer part of our existence because you are... You are what you think about. It shapes you. Uh, this, is, this is why, you know, part of what led me to become Anglican was years earlier starting to use the daily office, beginning and ending the day in, in a rhythm of scripture and prayer. Uh, James K. Smith talks about developing these rhythms that uh, that preached yourself in books he's written like you are what you love but artists artists bring by by bringing uh, this order and beauty into into our world through using stories for those who are writers Using, uh, using stories to engage those themes of what we all long for. Good triumphing over evil. Uh, redemption of that which is broken or unlovable. The, these, are, these are things that as... as Imitators, as little sub-creators, as, as people living with a kingdom mindset. Uh, uh, this, uh, this is how artists um, uh, show a little bit of that new creation. In our current age, Andrew Peterson uh, says this this is why the enemy wants you to think you have no song to write no story to tell no painting to paint he wants to quiet you so sing let the word by which the creator made you fill your imagination Guide your pen. Lead you from note to note until a melody is strung together like a glimmering constellation in the clear sky. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor too. By making worlds and works of beauty that blanket the earth like flowers. Let your homesickness keep you always from spiritual slumber. Remember that it is in the fellowship of saints, of friends and family, that your gift will grow best and will find its best expression. And until the kingdom comes in its fullness, bend your will to the joyful, tearful telling of its coming. Write about that. Write about that and never stop.
I don't think I can end better than that, so I'm going to cut it right there. Any questions, comments? All right. No questions or comments. Uh, I always try to put up a big list. These are the main three I was working with today, plus a lot of notes from, uh, from my old professor, Steve Halla, as well. All right. Thank you, guys.